what the world does instead of going through Jesus to get peace with God. We just want to numb the pain of our soul that aches for it. And that's why culture hijacks things like Christmas and makes it about the weather and makes it about reindeer and makes it about gifts. And it's really not about that. It's about the greatest hope of the world, God himself. After 400 years of silence, God didn't just send another message through a prophet like Isaiah. No, God said, I'm coming myself. The next kind of peace is the peace of God. We've got peace with God, and that kind of peace is available to everyone in this room today. That kind of peace is the reason that we do missions. That kind of peace is the reason that we serve in foster care, that we serve, the down, we serve our friends at downtown every Sunday night. This, that kind of peace is why, why we try to give 50% of our budget away into missional causes, because we are committed that other people would know this kind of peace with God. It's not just for us. That there's a world who is desperate for that kind of peace. And some of us have been believers since a really young age. And we forget what it's like to be lost and without hope. That's why missions is just not a program of the church. It is the church. The ch this, is, this is what we do, friends. Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers. That we're ambassadors for God. That God is sending his message of reconciliation through us. Peace with God. The peace of God. The peace of God is a little different. The peace of God is this Old Testament concept of shalom. It's this state of well-being because of the grace of God. All of Paul's letters except 2 Thessalonians start out this way. He says, peace from God. And we should pray that God would give us peace. And we should pray that our city would be peaceful. This is peace from God. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift from above. This is the shalom of God. This is the peace of God. Every sunrise and sunset and the air to breathe and the smell of fajitas and the warmth of human love and a sleeping baby and a laughing toddler and a hot tub when it's cold outside, every one of these things is the peace of God to us. But for the believer today, that peace can be exponentially multiplied. Because it's not just dependent upon the sleeping baby. You can have peace when there's a crying baby. It's not just dependent on a bank account that's full. It, you can be overdrawn and still have the peace of God. Philippians 4 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Can you, remind, can you imagine what Paul's talking about? This peace that I've been the most difficult circumstances of my life and I've been imprisoned and beaten and left at sea and all the things that have happened to him. And he says, it's, it surpasses my understanding that in the midst of such terrible circumstances, we can have peace. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, 
peace has nothing to do with the absence of conflict. The peace is traditionally equated with the manger scene in Bethlehem and they make snow globes out of them was not really that peaceful. I mean, you leave a couple nights before your first baby and travel by donkey 100 miles. That doesn't sound very peaceful. And when you get there, Joseph here hadn't registered anything with Airbnb. He has no place for you to stay. And the kindness of the innkeeper's heart, he's going to give you the, the barn in the back with all the animals. That doesn't sound very peaceful. Jesus never really experienced peace, as most of us would define it, as an absence of conflict. Even in Bethlehem with no place to stay and no doctors or meal trains or family or friends, it would only get worse. Just a short time later, they would have to pick up everything they know and go to Egypt. <clears throat> As a toddler, Jesus becomes an immigrant. But this was the definition of all of Jesus' life. The number of times the religious leaders tried to kill him. And then in Gethsemane, as he's praying that this bitter cup would be passed from him, but nevertheless, not my will, Father, but your wills. And, and then the culmination of conflict at Calvary, when all the enemies of darkness are mounted up against the very light of the world. The full humanity of Christ in the manger in Bethlehem hung with him on the cross. And between these two events, Jesus was bombarded with peace-robbing events. Yet he didn't waver. He slept peacefully through the storm. He took his time journeying to Bethany after Lazarus had died, and he did it peacefully. He dealt with enormous crowds of hungry people with very little food and he peacefully, peacefully fed them. Time and time again, the peace that surrounded the confines of his birth appeared in his everyday life. Even on the cross, being physically ravaged, his heart was at perfect peace. He was, he was witnessing to people. He, he was forgiving people. Here's the secret. The secret to peace with God is you've you step across the line of faith. You quit striving and try to earn it. You just, you just give yourself to Jesus. You surrender. And the peace of God is, we get it the same way. We get it through surrender. We only get this kind of peace through surrender. And it's not just a one-time surrender. We've done that as teenagers. We did that at camp. We did it at D-Now. We did it maybe in vacation Bible school. We, we've, we've done the one-time surrender pit, bit, most of us. It's continued surrender. Romans 12 says it's, it's the living sacrifice that we're called to be. A sacrifice that can get up off the altar and walk around again. But we don't because we, we choose to stay in that posture of surrender. Anyone of you ever argued with God? 
fought against him. You knew he was leading you to something, calling you to something, asking you to do something, and you didn't want to do it. And there, there's this war with God. I remember when God was clearly calling me into the ministry, and I didn't want to do it because I'd seen my dad and what they had grown up with, and we lived in this adverse circumstance a lot of times. I didn't want that. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to buy really nice shoes and really nice watches and really nice houses. That's what I wanted to do. And so the God's calling me ministry. And I just fought him and I fought him and I fought him for a year. Every time I'd get open, I'd open the word every morning like, like I was supposed to. And all I could hear him was he calling me to surrender my life and vocation to him. And I would literally, at the culmination of it, I just I said, shut up, God. And God should have struck me with lightning right there. And, man, the kindness of God. told you this story before i remember when i went to college was my i guess maybe the most rebellious i had ever been i went to college that first semester and i just didn't do anything necessarily bad but i just wanted to do everything my way i just told god god would you just take a break let me just do this my way and i'll find a wife my way and i'll find my vocation my way and i'll do everything my way and then when it's there i'll ask you to bless it And I remember living like that for three or four months and the joy of salvation was gone because of my unyieldedness to what God was trying to do. I've told you a story before. I remember going home for Christmas and lived in a double wide. My parents did in Eunice and I remember sitting on the couch. My dad would have this thing, I've told you this, he'd have this thing where before we opened presents and stuff, we could get the stocking as soon as we woke up. But before we opened any presents, he would read this Christmas story. He would go around in some form or fashion and ask us about what we were thankful for, what God's been doing in our heart. Well, I hadn't talked to God in several months. Holy Spirit was just all over me in that little living room, and I just remember him calling out to me. Came around to my turn to pray. I was sitting on the end. I was the last one. And the kindness of God was just all over me. I just wept. I couldn't even pray. Because the peace of God comes through surrender. And I surrendered again. And I've had moments of rebellion in my life absolutely since then. But the peace of God comes through surrender. It comes through your surrendered obedience. A lot of you have never heard God speak to you in a long time. It's been a month or two months or six months or six years. And you know where God's waiting for you? He's waiting for you at the fork in the road where you didn't follow him. And he's asking you to come back. The forgiveness that you never extended, the money you never gave, the, the yes you never put on the table. Jesus prayed in the garden lord not my will but yours and this is the prayer of a yielded life this is the prayer of a surrendered life when the day doesn't go as you think it should and you meet unfairness on every side and broken relationships because of sin and you face betrayal and grief and loss you don't have to deny those feelings but you just take them back to the lord our sympathetic high priest that has felt everything that you're feeling He knows what it's like to be betrayed. 
to be falsely accused, to be unnecessarily blamed. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back, to walk through periods of grief. There's only room, friends, for one on the throne of your heart. And I was reading this somewhere, and I don't remember where I was re reading it, but this idea, this phrase, and it's stuck in my heart and my head, this idea of our yielded yes to him. I think about Joseph at Christmas time. I talked to some of our leaders about this the other day. You know, Joseph never says a word in Scripture. We never see him dropping any kind of truth bombs. I mean, we just never see him doing anything. Saying anything, all we see is his obedience. All we see is his surrender. He had to surrender his dreams and plans in order for God to do something greater than Joseph could ever imagine. Mary comes and tells him that she's pregnant with God. Incredibly hard to believe. Joseph, it wasn't another man. I promise you, I promise you, it was God. Like any good engaged fiance would do, Mary's lost her mind. And we see Joseph has seemed to be a good guy, that he was going to break off the engagement not to put Mary to shame, which likely meant they would do it secretly and not in public. And then likely Joseph would have to just move to another town. Everyone would think it was Joseph's fault. But this is what he's going to do. And then an angel appears to him in a dream that says, Joseph, don't be afraid. I love that too. We make so many bad decisions out of fear. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he did. Verse 24 says, when Jacob woke up, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. The next time we see Joseph at the center, another dream, now instructions to go to Egypt as Herod was devising this tragedy to enact his plan to kill all the boys under two so that the king of kings would not take his place and once again joseph does exactly what he's told joseph's life is a life of continued surrender or of surrendered obedience again a lot of us don't hear the voice of God or feel the presence of God or sense the peace of God because there's something in our lives that we will not give over to him. Lord, you're good with the whole salvation thing. Thank you for coming at Christmas. Thank you for doing on the cross what only you could do. But with my finances, it's going to be me. And how I raise my kids, it's going to be me. And how I interact with relationships, that's going to be me. I'm going to do that. And you know what the Lord does? He lets you. And all the pain and harm that come with us leaning on our own understanding follows. For some of us this morning, surrender looks like forgiveness. You were treated poorly, unfairly, betrayed, rejected, taken advantage of. Your surrender looks like forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you allow them back into your life. It just means forgiveness means I'm just not going to hold that against them anymore. And any time that pain, that betrayal, that grief comes up against that other person, instead of harboring bitterness and saying, God, I hope you get them, we say, God, would you work in their life? We pray for them instead of devise ways that we could continually give them lice or whatever it is. We pray for them. That was a joke. That was a... <laughs> After 12 years, you'd think that people would get the, my humor. It's, we'll get there. We'll get there. 
For some of us, surrender looks like forgiveness. Others, it looks like just trusting his timing. You know what God makes us wait? So we'll surrender. Has God ever not come through for you when you thought he would? When you thought he should? You prayed for healing for that person you loved and he didn't do what you thought. You prayed for reconciliation of that thing and he didn't do what you thought. For some, surrender is just trusting God's promises over our feelings. Isn't it what this passage is about to the people of Israel and Judah? You're going to be in darkness for the next 600 years. But don't give up hope. The Messiah's coming. 600 years. I can't wait six days. I ordered some big, beautiful wreaths to hang back here for our Christmas things. They weren't here when Amazon said they were supposed to be here. I'm upset. I'm like writing notes yesterday to Amazon. How dare you? This was, this was for us, our church, to celebrate the coming king, and you didn't send the wreaths when you said you were going to send them. <laughs> Surrender is trusting, God, trusting God's promises over our feelings. I love that when the angel showed up, both Elizabeth and Mary, it had been 600 years of darkness, but they were still looking for the light. Part of our passage this morning speaks of the second advent. In verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom. This speaks of the second advent. The first advent when Jesus came as a baby, the second advent will be when Jesus will come as the conquering king, where there will literally be an absence of conflict on earth, where Jesus will sit on a literal throne and rule over a literal world, and there will be peace. And our souls ache and long for that. We've not seen that yet fulfilled. And at every funeral we attend, our soul just aches for it. And every loneliness feeling that we feel our soul just aches for it it's coming friends jesus is coming back but did you know that it's possible to have peace even now even in the midst of darkness even in the midst of conflict for some of you things might look really dark in this season this is the first season without a loved one facing the holidays without someone Unemployment, sickness, depression, loneliness. But even in that darkness, friend, God is trying to force light into the story. I pray you don't miss him. Let me end with this quote, <clears throat> Frederick Buechner. Christ never promises peace in the sense of no more struggle and suffering. Instead, he helps us to struggle and suffer as he did in love for one another. Christ does not give us security in the sense of something in this world, some cause, some principle, some value, which is forever. Instead, he tells us that there's nothing in the world that is forever. All flesh is grass. He does not promise us unlonely lives. His own life speaks loud of how in a world where there's little love, love is always lonely. Instead of all these, the answer that he gives, I think, is himself. 
if we go to him for anything else, he may send us away empty or he may not. But if we go to him for himself, I believe we always go away with the deepest of all our hungers filled. Even in the midst of darkness. Luke 1 verse 48, Zechariah song. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Even in the midst of darkness, Jesus is leading us with his light. I want to pray for us. We're going to take communion in a minute. And when you come up to the communion table, I want that to be a physical representation of an inward decision to give your yielded yes to him. And maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you say, God, I know I'm not yielded, but I want you to help me be yielded. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. Friends, I want to remind you that God loves you and he's for you. Invite the band to come on up. That he knows your tears that you cry and the loneliness that you feel, the grief that you're walking through, the sting of betrayal. He just knows it all. But he's for you. Even in the midst of darkness, Jesus leading you with his light, guiding you in the way of peace. Will you give him your yielded yes today? Holy Spirit, if we're honest this morning, most of us don't do very well with this. We feel this in our souls. We feel it deep in our souls. With conflict all around us, with the lack of love in our society, with the brokenness in our genealogy, we feel this pretty deeply sometimes. And it feels, Lord, if we're being honest, that the darkness is just getting darker and darker around us. Even our own culture is forcing you out of the public square. Trying to sabotage the very one thing that brings us so much hope at Christmas to make it about consumerism. But God, in your kindness, aren't letting us get there. Lord, I, I really, in a room this size, there's people who've never taken a step across the line of faith and they have no idea what it's like to have peace with you. Holy Spirit, would you draw them to yourself right now? Would this be the day, this Christmas memory of stepping across the line of faith, of placing their faith and trust in you as their Savior and Lord, forgiving them of their sins, bestowing upon them the family seal, sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians says, with a promise to one day return. Others haven't really felt the peace of God. Lord, they haven't felt your peace in a long time. Maybe it was disobedience in the past. Maybe it's a heart that's grown towards apathy. Maybe they haven't sought you in a long time. Pray today would be a, a day of rekindled joy for you. Father, you're such a good father. Thank you for what you mean to us what you've done for us, the peace that we can have in you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.
We'll have some of our prayer team in the back, and they would love to pray with you. Maybe you're walking through one of those relationships that's hard to forgive. Just, just grab one of them in the back and say, hey, would you just pray with me? Maybe you got a big thing this week, and you just want to represent Christ well through your job, and you just want to just grab one of them by the hand and say, would you pray with me over this? And then we've got our communion service at their tables. I pray as you come today, it's a physical response to your yielded yes before him. Friends, will you, will you give him your yielded yes? Not your yes with conditions. Your yielded yes. Not to us, O oh Lord, but unto you. Be all the glory and praise. You come when you're ready. I'll be in the back with the prayer team if you'd like to pray with someone.